Hey there, welcome to Time Limit. This is your host, Brett Hartnett, and I'm glad you joined me for this interview with product development expert, John Carter. In the conversation, John and I explore the topic of innovation and how to plan for it. John's the author of Innovate Products Faster, Graphical Tools for Accelerating Product Development. And as the founder and principal of TC Gen Inc., he's advised some of the most revered technology firms in the world, including Apple, Amazon, Bose, and many others. He's been on the front line of innovation and has an eye for process and management. So it was great to sit down with him and pick his brain about making innovation happen. Hey, John, thanks so much for joining me on Time Limit today. How are you? Uh, Very good and excited to be here, Brett. Awesome. I'm excited for you to be here. You know, I'm really looking forward to talking about innovation with you. It's a topic that I've kind of been thinking about a little personally, just kind of how innovation comes up, how you plan for it, how do you make space and time for it. But I think, you know, before we get into that, you know, I don't want to jump right into it. I think there's a lot to kind of discuss before we get to those points. And I was thinking it could be interesting to start at the highest level, which is basically the organizational level, um, and then kind of talk about innovation on teams and then maybe even the individual level as well. But first, to kind of set the stage for the topic of innovation, let's talk about what it is. Would you mind maybe sharing how you personally define innovation or maybe even share a goal or a project that you've worked on in your career? Yeah, it's great. And I'm glad we're starting here because there's so much uh, misconception around what innovation is or should be. Uh, And hopefully, at least I can give you my definition, which I've found very useful. Uh, and might clarify the situation for many organizations. So to first order, and very simply, innovation consists of two things. It consists of an idea and the execution to deliver it so that you gain economic advantage or gain or, or really accomplish any goal. So it is the combination of a creative spark with the notion that you take that creative spark and turn it into something that is realizable and useful. I like it. That That's a, a perfect way to kind of encapsulate it. I, I like the idea of it being a creative spark because that's been my experience in my career with innovation. You know, it's not something that you always plan for, right? It's something that can come up midstream in a project. It could be a part of a conversation that then spur, spurs into a full project or a goal that that ends up doing kind of what you explained and kind of further this along, you know, there's probably no great answer to this, but I'm curious where you typically see innovation come from. Um, You know, I mentioned it could be in a meeting or it could have come up while someone was executing work, but do you see innovation starting at an executive level where they're kind of pushing for change or do you see it more from that team level where people are working through ideas and executing? Well, of course, it's it's in a way both. But mm-hmm. let me first touch on the notion of where innovation happens. I know personally, or at least the creative spark, it can happen when you're sort of processing what I call the slow mind, which is that you've set it aside for a day, you're taking a shower in the morning, uh, you're getting ready to face a, a new day, and suddenly a thought comes up either from a meeting or a conversation or a project that you're working on. And so often I find at least my creative spark comes in uh, the f- uh, fertile grounds of being away from the project 
Um, yeah. I, th I think it's important to capture that. Uh, Absolutely. That, that spark and use it. So anyway, I just, that's, I wanted to augment your list. I appreciate now, with, that. <laughs> with respect to where does it occur? You know, is it top down with the executives really demanding it? Or is it people in the organization uh, that come up with the ideas that uh, can move us forward? And the answer really is is both. But there's a lot of mis, um, um, comprehensions about this or misunderstandings that I think are very basic. First of all, um, I do believe that innovation and there's one element of the definition I left out, and that is disruptive. And I don't think that all innovations have to be disruptive, but they can lead to profound benefit and change because <clears throat> they could be simply uh, extrapolation of something that you already have, but then really uh, moving it into a new dimension or direction or audience or team or whoever. So it's not really disruptive, but you're extrapolating. Nevertheless, uh, if you look at innovation, there are two components. So let's talk about top-down top innovation. I firmly believe that uh, you need to <clears throat> consciously invest in organization. And by this, I mean invest people's time in doing it and create a, a so-called discovery space where people can be free to innovate and really focus on those next dimension ideas. Um, and I recommend an allocation, believe it or not, on the order of $10,000 for professional. So let's say you have a staff of 10 professionals. You might uh, create a budget of $100,000, which might support, let's say, half a person, including overhead, to work on new ideas. For larger organizations, it, it, it would be more. But that is the top-down form that executives value innovation, and they value it so much they're willing to budget innovation and staff it. And that, I think, is the best formula because, as we talked about, it's a creative spark, but it's also the execution. Well, I'm not a believer in this 20% time. I don't think it works. I don't think it exists. It's a fantasy. Um, it can be useful because it encourages innovation from all parts of the organization. But I think if you want dependable uh, innovation, you need to fund it and work on it. In, in though the respect of the individual, many great ideas come from individuals, maybe most. And they don't come from the 20% time that's talked about. They typically come from uh, you're working on a problem or working with a team, just as you described, Brett, and then suddenly an, a concept appears to you. Now, I think the difference then, or the challenge is, so on one hand, you've got executive-driven, top-down innovation activities, which are funded. Then you have these individuals coming up with really great sparks and ideas. Well, to turn the creative spark into a innovation, you have to then fund what that person is doing. And so they need to transfer out, I'm serious about this, they need to transfer out their responsibility uh, ongoing to really focus like an entrepreneur on their creative spark to really turn it into an innovation. And I, you know, for example, uh, and focus is really important. You can't dilute your effort with a whole bunch of ideas, but uh, those are the two ways that I've seen innovations uh, take place, Brett, and, and both work. Interesting. I love the concept that you brought up of the slow mind. Um, I can personally really relate to that. I think 
I do my best thinking and innovating when I'm not sitting at my computer, when I'm not working or even thinking about work. Um, so that's a really interesting concept. I, I want to dig in a little bit on what you mentioned around kind of, it, it kind of gets to how organizations are can plan for innovation, right? I'm interested to dig in on that uh, $10,000 budget per professional. Um, what, what does that budget include? What does it cover? Uh, because I'm thinking for some of our listeners who maybe want to make the case for this kind of path, like that might be helpful. Yeah, sure. And of course, it's a rule of thumb and, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, rules of thumbs are just guidelines. The, the actual, the, the notion comes from, uh, f- from product engineering, but can be applied everywhere. And that is that if you look at a, a typical product development activity, you would would find engineers and marketing people and UX and all the the functions that that are working on this and that all they all add up to a, a budget for product development. And so what you do essentially is you take ten percent of that budget and you move it over into a protected space. Now, what do I mean by a protected space? So first of all, every year the executives have to consciously write a budget and it has to appear. And this permanence is super important. You've got to be consistent on on innovation. Anyway, they establish a budget. Now, if if your uh, organization is such that they can establish a, a dedicated full stack team or two, that's ideal. Uh, so you've got a budget and then you've got actually full stack teams, meaning designers and UX people and and engineering and uh, customer success people all working in this tiny crucible. And then, you know, when the, the fragile creative space spark is is tested and evolved and iterated and typically in agile fashion it's at some point ready to go back into the overall organization so that uh what i'd like to see is dedicated uh funding and a dedicated space now if you don't have that kind of big budget let's go back to the analogy of you've got a small shop with with 10 uh professionals involved in your activities um that creates on the order of a hundred thousand dollar budget. Well, what does that mean? That would mean that you might cover an individual half time, and also be enough to afford a development partner who could work on your idea um, and iterate, so that you don't have to gain the fixed cost of a whole organization. But you take part of that hundred thousand dollars, and let's say fifty thousand offsets a, a good portion of someone's time. They can share responsibilities, and it also then leaves fifty thousand dollars for a budget to, in fact, explore an idea. And so that's how I'd suggest you might think about it. Got it. You also mentioned twenty percent time, uh, which I'm assuming is uh, what some organizations will do: is set aside twenty percent of someone's time every week, or of over a month, or a course of weeks to focus on quote unquote innovation or a new project is is that what you're referring to exactly and i okay. just think it's a, a myth to be uh honest it's funny google hijacked the term it's been around for a super long time and i think it's more useful 
for um, setting a vision about, hey, innovation is important to mm -hmm. us as an organization. So yes, you can spend 20% of your time to explore it. Now, it's practically speaking, if it's outside your normal function, you're going to do that outside the the working hours. Um, but nevertheless, it, I think it's a useful concept in in its uh, halo effect, but in reality, it's hard to say. Well, you know, I've just done eighty percent of my job. It's it's what it's it's Friday morning at ten thirty, and now it's time I've spent the rest of the day innovating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there with you. I've been there actually. Uh, when okay. I worked in an agency, they gave us, you know, a small group of us were were the team who were working on this new app, and it was something that the company was funding, and we were given Fridays to do it. But guess what? By the time Friday rolled around, everyone who was supposed to be doing that work was so busy with the billable project work that they had to get done. So the innovative time went out the window, uh, and, and that was just more frustrating for everyone. Um, you nailed it. Exactly. <laughs> so that kind of leads me to a question kind of around process and how you kind of make things happen you know is there any kind of preferred way that organizations should structure themselves or teams to kind of achieve those ideas or even structures around like ways they should plan for this kind of stuff outside of kind of what we've talked about in terms of money and budgeting like i'm thinking more on the tactical level like the team level Oh, sure. So there are a couple ideas that I think can be really effective. Uh, the first of all is um, basically giving uh, individuals and small teams the notion that they can, in fact, ideate, and it's good, and it's expected of them, and set the framework that way. And then the innovation process, actually, um, again, I think there's a misperception here that <clears throat> innovation is is a lot of process. The fact of the matter, it's very little process. And what really matters um, are two things, and that is uh, funding, as we talked about, and second is governance. In other words, executive teams that can jump on your idea and be able to run with it. This is so important because ideas are fragile. And just like this creative spark, often it's a creative ember. So it actually hasn't caught fire yet. And so it needs an environment to be nurtured. And this is where process comes in. So uh, if you look at the very front end, uh, there should be some kind of process that um, people can uh, submit ideas. So there's some sort of governance body or leadership team or someone that controls the purse strings. And there should be a, divine, a defined process for uh innovators to present their ideas for funding. So that's the first thing. You need you need um, some way of getting innovators to document their ideas and share them. So governance is actually more important. Or leadership and having an organizational steering committee or something is more important than process because you need a sponsor. So let's assume that you've got some kind of sponsor, either the owner or an executive or an executive team. And you have a process around uh, codifying an idea. Part of that second process step is look at your idea in the context or through the lens of the product vision for the organization. In other words, some ideas are more aligned with strategy than others. For example, when I, I was chief engineer at Bose, we commonly use this, this uh, um, 
guidance, if you will, in North Star, which is better sound from small packages. And so that's, a, that's actually a very useful constraint. So if someone has an idea that's not aligned with that, then you're probably not going to invest in it. So being able to have a product vision or what good looks like so that teams know how to filter their ideas is, is kind of the second step. And then the third process element that's super important is to have um, a, what I call it a protected space. But basically, it's it's uh, uh, you you are and protected from bureaucracy attacking your ideas. So you need a process to basically allow people to innovate and create and refine without a lot of corporate bureaucracy. And then finally. You need a process uh, so that once the individual has really vetted their idea and believes there's a market for it and the creative spark is turned into a small little flame, maybe a candle flame, you need to be able to transfer that to the organization at large where they can execute on it. And therefore, the fourth process that we might consider is how do you transfer an idea that's been proven and hardened by an individual, a very small team, into the organization and get it to be a priority. So those are the, some of the thoughts that come to mind, Brett, about process. But I think in, in most cases, it's used as little processes as possible, but no less. Yeah, I, it's really interesting. I think kind of taking it back, you know, we already talked about how an innovative idea can really manifest itself in a variety of ways and it can come from any kind of any corner of an organization, right? It doesn't have to be that an idea comes from an engineer or a designer or an executive. It can come from anywhere. Um, and I would think that a lot of organizations, and I've, I've experienced this personally, a lot of organizations kind of um, set out a mandate about or making statements about being innovative or setting goals around innovation, right? And trying to get employees to think differently or even approach their work differently. I get I guess in some way I kind of am thinking about this like an agile transformation, right? It's like this is something the organization says we're going to do for a reason X, Y, and Z, and we are going to do it. Do you do you have any kind of tips around how leaders and organizations should communicate about innovation to make it feel more accessible? Because I think the way that you're approaching approaching it, or at least the way you're explaining it, feels more natural and approachable than I think what I've probably experienced in my career. Yeah, well, uh, it's interesting. Um, I, I think part of it is culture change, Brett. And, mm-hmm. and culture change kind of uh, is, is basically, it only occurs at the speed of trust. So culture change really occurs at the speed of trust. And what does that mean? Well, let's say you've got um, an innovation mandate from the executives, as you just described. Well, there are going to be failures. There are going to be people who had ideas and they didn't pan out. And that should be part of the process but they shouldn't be penalized for for failure. You've got to trust the the management team, the executive team, that in fact, if they allow you to innovate and you fail, that you're not uh, in in some way castigated or criticized for doing so. Right. So I think there's there's a definitely there's a trust and culture component about it. 
But the other thing that you said is really interesting and very important is innovation takes place everywhere. And I think this is another area of the misconception, which is that people tend to think of innovation only occurring in the product itself or the deliverable. Uh, but in fact, distribution, uh, profound innovation can occur in other areas such as distribution or IT or any way, any parts of the organization and be transformative. In the case of, again, I'm drawing on my experience at Bose, but it's a great example of when we came out with the headphones, um, which I worked on, the noise canceling headphones, we knew that average retailers would not ever be able to sell a uh, superior headphones for $300. We just thought there would be no market for that. And so what uh, we did as a company is we actually looked at different distribution models. So we innovated along distribution, turning our sales through retail into a, a direct channel. Uh, and this is a great example of innovation taking place in distribution channels. And there are many other aspects of, of where innovation should take place. So you're exactly right. Executives really should encourage it everywhere and have this culture of trust, knowing that innovation also includes failure. Yeah. So two things. One, I'm pretty sure that I had that first set of Bose noise-canceling earphones. So that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Second, you know, I'm really interested in this idea of, you know, uh, executives kind of making space and allowing for innovation, right? The place where my project management brain starts to go crazy is when I think about this open culture of innovation. It means that I'm working with a team. We've got our initiatives mapped out. You know, I have some level of a plan for things. And then a new idea comes up that com completely change the face of that project or that product, really. How do you handle that? How, how do you account for it, right? Like, how do, you, how do you not only give people the space to do it, but also say, oh, you came up with this great idea? Yes, let's include it and re reprioritize everything. <laughs> um, Brett, you ask good questions. These are not easy to answer, <laughs> frankly, but I'll, I'll do my best. So let's take the, the uh, case that you talked about where you've got an individual and is working on a team. It's newly put together and suddenly they have a game-changing idea. What do you do? Well, the first thing, there are several options. Um, sometimes the ideas we talked about, the slow mind, can be outside what you're working on every day. So it's actually maybe not related to the project you're working on. If that's the case, then, you know, we talked about process just a bit earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, an individual should be able to in be encouraged and there should be, uh, if you will, a small p process to ha uh, have this uh, idea kind of um, placed against the lens of the product vision so we know it's aligned. And then uh, we have governance, so we talk to a, the owner, whoever has the purse springs, and they say, yes, that's in fact a good idea and we should invest in it. Then there's a decision. So once you're at that point, if if the product is, or rather if the innovation spark, the creative spark that occurs right then, if that is aligned with the project activity this person is on, then what I would recommend is a so-called have a boundary break review. In other words, this project has changed. And it's changed because it's going to include this great new idea. So you have a mechanism to go back to, to management and request 
you move the goalposts because if you don't have this explicit meeting to move the goalposts and the fact the team decides to pursue this radical new thing, you're likely to be late and not deliver what you think you're going to be delivered. Right. But if you have a, a kind of a, a, a system where the team goes back to management and say, hey, we've got this great idea. It's going to take longer, but if we do it right, we're going to just be 10x. And therefore, we'd like you to move the goalposts and give us you know, another two quarters or another $300,000 or whatever it is you need to be successful. And the executives will either say, yes, do it, or no, we can't afford that. If the answer is, yes, we do it, it's great. They're going to Disneyland. If the answer is, is no, but it's really valuable. Then it goes back into uh, this notion we we called uh, talked about a, a protected space for innovation and mm-hmm. and discovery. So there's there. And then the final thing, if neither of those two are possible, you would budget it for next year. But that's no good. So hopefully there's a way to act on it, either aligned with your project activity, or to be um, basically nurtured in a protective space. Okay. So yeah, it's it's um it's almost kind of leaning on that structure that an organization would set up around innovation, right? Like having that protected space, having that uh kind of governing body to help determine what what money should be spent on and advocating for that thing, and then making a change to the scope of your project and proceeding. Uh which exactly I think absolutely makes sense. Um one of the other things that I kind of wanted to dig in on is, you know, if, if you look at the project setting, um, you've got a PM and a team working on the project. Uh, we kind of mentioned this idea of budgets and change. And I think one of the toughest things to really figure out on that level, like if that innovative idea comes up, it's introduced to your project, potentially rolled into it, it's coming up with a scope for that thing. And a lot of times when an idea comes up that is new, it's something that's not been explored or done before. So it's hard to place an estimate around it. So I'm wondering, can teams budget for innovation on the project level? That's, again, a super interesting question. I think, it, it, of course, the answer is it depends. Uh, I think one of the toughest situations, if this project team is actually working on a deliverable for a client who's expecting an outcome, this deviation in scope needs to be done with their approval. And that's, I think, first and foremost. There's this notion that some some activities are so-called build the stock, meaning they're ideas that don't necessarily have a customer but will be attractive and people will buy it. It's one type of businesses. The other is build to order, where you've got a specific scope. Let's say it's to build a building or it's to create a a digital asset used in advertising or whatever. Um, those are fixed deals with customers. So you, in fact, mm-hmm. you really can't uh, afford to make uh, big changes or innovations there. And then you get to the question, okay, if you find a way, the management says this is a good idea, but we didn't plan for it, budget for it. How do we get our arms around it? I think the best way to do it is is not make it um, – necessarily an outcome-driven kind of approach. But early on, it's best to just have milestones and funding. 
In other words, say, these are the five questions you want, we want to get answered in this discovery, in this protected space. And we're going to give you, you know, $150,000 and, and six months to do it. Uh, and at the end of that, we would like to have these five questions answered, and we would like to have you be able to present our scope to bring it to market, say, or to deliver to a customer. But it can't be a, a, a traditional kind of project plan per se, because you're in discovery, things could change. So really, I think setting clear expectations, a clear time frame, and a clear budget helps us at least move the project to a point where it actually can be scheduled. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I think you referring to it as discovery is really important. And I think that's a good way to make the case for, you know, if you're working on a project and that a team member or the team comes up with this new approach or idea that falls outside of what you've already planned or what you've already scoped, moving that to its own separate area and thinking about it and iterating on it, then determining if it's worthy of, you know, introducing to the project is probably a good idea because you're working out kind of a proof of concept uh, on some level, right? And and then you've got to do some due diligence in communicating about it, uh, selling it to people, making sure that it's an appropriate fit for that one thing you're working on. And if it isn't, maybe it's something that exists on its own. Yes. I think you've really described exactly what should take place in this discovery zone activity because you really can't schedule it. You can't budget it, but you do want to encourage it. And so having a mechanism to do this, I think, is is super important. Yeah. So I want to kind of piggyback on something that you just said about encouraging it. So to me, the idea of working on or leading a team that is innovative is pretty exciting. I also think from the PM perspective, it's a little bit scary, right? Because while you might do all of this work um, in more of a traditional project setting and planning your project and making sure that you've got the resources and the budget to get the work done is great. But knowing that at any time, scope creep could be introduced in your project through your team itself is a little bit nerve wracking. So I guess the question for me is like, as a leader, how do you get your team to focus on executing projects kind of with innovation as like a a side hustle so to speak does that does that even make sense it does i i think it's really hard to yeah. to be candid it's really hard as a uh, as a side hustle so i think what the what the organization needs is a a simple and relatively easy way for someone who's working on a, a side hustle to actually um, have enough time and focus to innovate properly. Right. And so you need to be able to codify, do you need to do the side hustle long enough to codify your idea, show how it meets the product lens, describe the five questions you're going to answer and your budget, and then, um, then the organization can sanction your side hustle and turn it into a 
uh, normal, the straightforward part of your job, hopefully most or all of your job to really focus and get it done. Um, and, and one way that I've seen organization do this is kind of clever, is they create this protected space by ind for individuals, not physically, but actually they turn off the Slack channels related to the company. And they create a virtual, if you will, organization that allows them some isolation from the typical corporate bureaucracy. What we talked about protecting a space, you can do that electronically by, by just encouraging communication within the innovative team and not, you know, inviting them to all company meetings and status reports and allow mm -hmm. them to focus and, and innovate. Yeah, that seems like the dream scenario, right? You're working on a project, you magically come up with an idea, your work gets reprioritized, you get to offload project work and really think about the idea that that you kind of came up with and make it a reality. Uh, that sounds like a, a really exciting proposition for me. Um, I'm sure to me, a lot, a lot of folks too. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let me probe on that because I think it's really important. And there's one other thing that's also it's a bit a dose of reality because it mm -hmm. is a dream project. You're absolutely right. But the dose of reality is, you know, we talked about this roughly 10,000 for professional, maybe it's a 10% of the whole activity. You can only accommodate so many ideas at a given time. Right. And so you, unfortunately, you may not be able to get to this dream state because there's another innovative idea that's kind of taken soaked up the 10%. So um, I, I, just to, to be fair and manage expectations, I do think you need real budget and real money to be innovative. But sometimes, unfortunately, you have to wait in line because you, you, you're going to need the prior innovation to kind of finish before you can, can work on it. Absolutely. So we're kind of creeping into that kind of personal, individual level of innovation that I wanted to talk about. And I'm wondering... Are there any personal benchmarks or goals that you'd recommend to people who want to prioritize innovation in their careers? Oh gosh, uh, um, another hard question. Uh, tell me, <laughs> tell me about this. Do the are you talking about leading, let's say, an innovation initiative or having a center of excellence around innovation, or are you just talking about how you can allow people to be innovated, innovative, and get reward as kind of a part of their resume. Yeah, I, I was thinking more of the latter. You know, like okay. on, on the personal level, I want to, I want, I want innovation to be a part of what I do, a part of what I'm known for. What What are things that I should do or strive for? Uh, uh, these are great questions. So, uh, uh, another unpopular uh, answer, though, and I think it's it's actually though of note, which is focus. And so, if you really want to be innovative. You can't juggle your job in 10 cool ideas. What you've got to do is you've got to sort that list down and pick a horse and run with it. And I know it's super hard to say that, but the fact of the matter is this, this, tr this transition from this spark into a flame and nurturing the actual execution, it's so fragile that uh, you really need a special way to do that. 
And you can't do it if you're trying to do five or 10 cool work on five or 10 cool ideas uh, as well at, at the same time. So I think focus would really help you in terms of your innovation uh, journey. The second is, and this is really important, and it goes back to our discussion about product lens. You are and say your organization isn't quite so formal and they don't have all these things set up. If you've got an idea and want to be known as an innovator, you have to understand how this idea will help the business move forward and be able to communicate that to the executives so that they allow you to put time onto it. The, the uh, one uh, Unfortunate thing is innovations often occur by employees or team members, but they're not aligned with the business. So if you want to be innovative and be known for it, I'd recommend two things. One, focus. Two, make sure you can present your case for innovation in the context of how it will make the business that you're working for at move forward. Absolutely. Those are really good tips. So coming up on my last question, and the, the last question of each episode nods to the title of the show, which is Time Limit. And we've talked a lot about the context of innovation in structured, maybe even larger organizations where there might be a program, a process, and a budget to kind of go along with it. I'm guessing that there are several of our listeners or, who are in organizations that aren't set up for that or maybe not funded for it. And I'm wondering, are there ways that teams or individuals even can just focus on innovation when they don't have those resources? Um, are there any things, I think uh, the previous points around focus and knowing that you have to be able to sell your ideas are really important. Do you have any other kind of tips for folks who want to try to focus on it but are stretched for those times, uh, those resources and time? Yeah, this is quite a realistic um, situation. Mm -hmm. So I can understand that may be true for many, if not most of the uh, the listeners here. I would say that to first order, um, one thing that can be really helpful is if you think about, it, let's say you're you're working in, in an organization, but you have this really innovative job. We talked a little bit about a side hustle. Well, I think one thing that would really help is to figure out clever ways to vet the concept or idea with potential customers. So if you can, on the side, figure out a simple and elegant way to get feedback on your idea, and I think it could be done through social media, for example, um, so that you gain evidence to show management that this is something you should work on because you've tested it in the marketplace, I think that might might give you some real, if you will, a tailwind. So I'd recommend A, um, the idea be aligned with the business, and B, you've done enough thinking about it so you can in fact say, well, I've actually, you know, uh, I've got survey of, of 40 users in social media in this particular group, and 38 of them would, would absolutely love to have what I'm talking about. I think uh, if you can find efficient ways to get market feedback, and an idea aligned with the company, uh, and if you can do the, both of those things uh, on the side, then I think that might, might give you enough evidence to really get uh, some space to work on your, your new idea. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really good point. It kind of is making me think that 
when you do come up with a new idea, and, and I've experienced this personally too, and it's something that you really want to execute, it's something that you're excited about that you know will work, you'll make the time, right? And, and that time could be on nights and weekends. Like you will make the time because you're committed to that idea and you're committed to having it see the light of day and people experiencing it. So I, I think that's part of it too, right? It's just having that drive. And when you are limited for that time and resources, then you find alternative ways to make it happen. Yeah. So, so and we're talking about the individual aspects uh, here and you're 100% right on the drive. So you need drive and you need focus and you need some way to get some feedback. But man, if you're really excited about a, a concept, by all means, you should pursue it. Love it. Well, John, this has been great. Um, I, I'm like inspired to go think of a new idea that I can work on in my off time, which is not going to happen right now, but I can be <laughs> excited about it anyway. But th- thank you so much for joining me on Time Limit. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and talking to you about this. I, I hope that we stay connected. And again, thank you. Thank you very much for this opportunity to talk about this important topic. It's something that I'm passionate about. And uh, you gave me an opportunity to share the passion. So I appreciate it, Brett. Thank you. Happy to do it. Thanks so much. All right, folks, that's it for this episode. I have to say, I left that conversation thinking even more about how I can include innovation into my daily routine. Since we're in the middle of a pandemic and I have more free time than ever, now feels like a good time to do that. Maybe you'll try it too. Or even better, maybe you'll find ways to make time and space for innovation at work. That sounds like more of a plan. All right, so join me for our next episode, which will be all about agency project management. In the meantime, will you please rate our show wherever you're listening to your podcasts? And if you've got guest suggestions or want to be on the show yourself, reach out to us at podcast at teamgant.com. Thanks. Thank you.